The Start On Demand. On demand. Burnout. I think it's safe to say that most of us have felt some form of burnout since the pandemic began. And now that Omicron has taken hold, burnout is once again surging around the world. What do you do to deal with burnout? Another former Winnipeg Blue Bomber is entering the political arena. Abi Khan has thrown his hat in the ring in provincial politics, looking to get the nomination in Fort White. For our small town salute, we head to Riche, Manitoba to learn about dog sledding and winter glamping. And why do Lorenz family members insist on hiding the phone chargers? The little things that drive us nuts. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, January 6th podcast for The Start. Brett, I know you've been outside this morning. I was outside uh, for a little bit this morning uh, doing a couple of chores and had to go get my uh, get my tea. It's actually pretty nice out right now without a breath of wind. And that's where we that's where we always end up, right? During the winter, they, it's on, awful out, go. but oh, without the wind. Sunny. Here, here's the thing. After yesterday, it doesn't feel as bad because yesterday, I know the temperature wasn't as cold. It wasn't the coldest. Even the wind chill wasn't as bad. I think it was just last week. It might have even been New Year's Eve where there was one point during the show where the wind chill was minus 47. Oh. And that's as cold as I've seen it so far. But yesterday was the worst day of the season as far as I'm concerned. It was awful. I had to go outside, uh, go to the store a couple of times yesterday, and it was dreadful. I hated every second of it. And then I see on Global News last night, Abigail Turner doing her, her live hit or her stand-up, as they call it, outside. She has this marvelous collection of toques, but she's not wearing a toque. And I'm thinking, what? I even text her, like, what are you doing? So, Loren, is that like... Is she not allowed to wear toques on no. the evening news? She probably just wanted to, maybe she just didn't feel like she needed it at that time or didn't have one handy or, you know, sometimes you just, you have to care and you keep the toque on and sometimes you take the toque off. I've, I've done, I mean, listen, if, if it's cold out, obviously the advice is to like wear a toque, but I have had times where yesterday, for example, ran outside and didn't have mitts or a toque on and just getting to the store and back with just some bags, it was just ridiculous yeah i know it was like all the things you yell at your children for and then i'm like coming out of the store i'm like are you an idiot like what is your deal so i have been there and in fact there was a time about 15 years ago working for global national i was doing a story went out to do a shoot i think it was london ontario and on the way back we get this call saying hey can you guys divert to hamilton there's like this massive snowstorm coming and it's not like it came out of nowhere but you know how the it keeps changing hour after hour. It's going to be five centimeters and 10 centimeters and then, you know, 30 centimeters. So I'm, I was dressed that day, you know, like a, I like to call it my church coat, like an overcoat, thin, useless, not keeping you warm. And I only had like mini gloves, magic gloves. We used to call them as a kid, like those thin threadbare magic things. Ma- yes. And, and I had no toque. So by the time I get to Hamilton, it's just a raging snowstorm, blizzard-like conditions. Can you do a live hit? I'm like, yeah, 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 no problem. And, and I brag forever to Torontonians. I'm from Manitoba. Like, this is not a big deal, right? Oh. So I gotta, I gotta get out there and show my stuff. 
by the time I get to the life yet, I've forgotten or lost, sorry, one of my gloves. So now, <laughs> now I'm using one of the gloves to, to hold the mic because the mic is metal, right? You don't want to be standing in the cold with metal. And my other hand is like tucked in my coat. And as I'm standing there waiting, there's snow building up on my shoulder. And in my ear, the guy in Vancouver is like, do you not have a toque? And I was like, I know, I don't have a toque. I've got one mitt. You should see the boots I'm wearing. And they ended up turning it into like a Canadian weather promo for the network for a few weeks. Because within minutes, the drift that built on my shoulder and the look on my face as I blew on my one ungloved hand, like... Like as if that was going to make a difference. So sometimes you just, you're not prepared. I'm not sure what the deal was with her last night, but I'm not knocking anyone because I was there yesterday. I was there 15 years ago. That's life. Loren, this was like your Scotty's Tournament of Hearts moment. You had the Manitoba crest on your back of your jacket. And, and, And did you let us down or did you do us proud in the end? Uh, I would say I did a disservice to society by standing there (laughs) showing them how one could potentially freeze to death. Like, I guess in a human experiment kind of way. A PSA. Yeah. You know, for this is not not what to do. do. Okay. All right. I still have that that night. So then we were stranded in Hamilton and that night I had to go out and buy uh, another winter coat because I was like, there's no way I'm going to make it. And I still have that coat to this day. It's like one of those puffy, puffy coats. Oh, yeah? You know, where it looks like you're like a thousand pounds. You look like there's Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. It's or like something. I've kept it as a. That's your stupid coat, you know. That's when you were not thinking. Well, you, you, you mentioned the the different scales of cold, and uh, you, as you pointed out, if you didn't get a new jacket, you were not going to make it. Like, oh look, I'm just going through my various weather apps. AccuWeather talking about tonight's low. They've got it as at minus 33 for their overnight low. Still awful. Uh, but the, one of the things they say is hypothermia likely without protective right. clothing. So there you are for your job, standing outside, clearly in the wrong gear and yeah it's a great story by the way and yeah we had a laugh about it but how long did you have to stand out there well i think you know it used to be the, so 5 30 would be the live hit so i probably was out there from 5 20 i remember ducking back into the car twice like you know you go set up you do a sound check and then i was back in and they're in my ear like you need to get out there and i'm you need to get out there you know <laughs> but it's it's dumb right and like at the end of the day it's one thing if you know where you're going and you have a warm place to get to but as i was walking around yesterday i thought what if the car goes off the road and here i am right That's not the prepared thing. and so in your trunk we know there's supposed to be all those things i do have boot good boots on like ironically i'm wearing sorrels but not thinking to put a toucan you know like it doesn't add up. So use your head. I, I'm, and I'm talking to myself here. No one else. No, I always, I always thought uh, grandma and grandpa just live up in Birds Hill. Uh, but you're going on Highway 59. And so when it's really cold out, I insist that the kid a toucan and mitts. We're going in the car, Dad. What do I need mitts for? Well, what if the car breaks down? What if we have in a ditch and we need to push or whatever like you need to be prepared and so uh, i i plead with you gotta think two or three steps ahead <sighs> continues to fall on deaf ears I, I don't know what to do I'm, I'm at my wits end with this and then Corey had cut the tv yesterday without a scarf around his neck gonna have to have a talk with that young man <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I'm at my wit's end with is this whole working from home nonsense. Greg sounds like he's yeah. six octaves lower, or especially when he did the deeper voice. Now I he's, thought 
He was doing it for effect. <laughs> no, so teenager boy. <laughs> so no. Greg's gonna have to reboot or something. <laughs> I'm actually we're gonna be talking a lot about burnout and the things we're sick of and tired of. One of the primary themes for today on CJOB is burnout. Omicron is not just causing a surge in cases. It's also causing a surge in stress for many of us. Schools are going back to remote learning for a week. More restrictions are possible. It's a new year, but it feels like a repeat. And many of us maybe just came off some extra days off. Some of our colleagues are saying they didn't realize how burned out they were until they... Finally had some time to slow down. Others feel even though they had a good chunk of days, they just haven't had time to fully recover. So we want to know, where are you at? So let's chat about burnout right now. And I guess, Greg, why don't we start with you? Like, how have you been feeling lately uh, with all of this stuff that's developed over the last few weeks? You know, I've been thinking about that for the last hour or so. And I try to put on a brave face for the most part, but it's been tough, even though I had as many. You mentioned the fact that I had you know, some uh, good amount of time off. Uh, you just, you look around and I know just within our, our family circle, we've got people that are off that have been sick, that have been, you know, affected by, by COVID and, you know, waiting for testing, the PCR testing uh, when they were still suggesting that you get it and then wondering, okay, well now I've got COVID. What do I do? How do I handle this? Uh, and then you got to make the phone calls to speak to everybody. And, and of course, everybody feels bad because you're wondering where did this all start, et cetera, et cetera. So that just mounts on top of the stress of we're now trying to figure out next week with the with the boys going back to school. Jackie's working from home. We're, we're fortunate to have a, a fairly large uh, home. But uh, if all four of us have to be online at the same time, if all four of us have obligations, whether it be work or school. Where are we going to get the privacy to do that? How are we going to juggle all that? It's uh, it, it starts to be a, a little bit much after a while, Loren. And, you know, for as much as I've enjoyed uh, the lack of structure to a certain extent, I'm craving it again because uh, normalcy just uh, seems to be so far away right now. How are you feeling, Loren? Well, I think that's part of it, the lack of consistency I actually was talking to a girlfriend about this yesterday, and I don't think either of us used the term burnout, but that's exactly what we were talking about in terms of, I think, where we're at. And the issue has been kind of like the waves of this pandemic. You've gone through these ups ups and downs, and it feels like my emotions are on a yo-yo diet, and those aren't healthy. Doctors will tell you ad nauseum that if you're you know trying to be healthy or lose weight or get fit yo-yo dieting where you gain 10 pounds lose 10 pounds is not ideal and I feel like that's where my sort of soul is at where at the start of it you're like okay great you know 2020 spring this is not awesome but we can make the best of it and we'll we'll do long walks and scavenger hunts and okay fine the, the homeschooling's hard but we'll sit outside and do it we'll be in the sun oh yay and then three weeks later like this really sucks like this is hard I'm struggling and then you get out of that and it's summertime and you're feeling good and then you come back into the fall and you you start a new project i'm gonna do this project well halfway through that project another wave hits you're now home again you're struggling with that and you come out of that and you think i'm gonna start exercising so you do and you walk and you feel great and you're fit and then the third wave hits and you're you know it just that's where you're up and you're down and you're up and you're down and uh hey man like i can think of my grandma like every single time i talk to her will say you know things could be worse and she's absolutely right 
absolutely for me, for myself, for my family, there's a lot of things to be grateful for, but it's hard to get back up all the time when you keep going through these cycles. And I, I, I feel like I'm on a yo-yo. So Greg, when you feel like maybe you're a little burned out, do you have any strategies or what do you do to deal with that? I don't know. I don't know if I do or not. You know, like, <laughs> I think, I think uh, for the most part, when things are, are usual, let's use that terminology, you, you have these things that sort of automatically kick in, right? I need to get out. I need to get the, the dog for a walk. That's one thing, I, you know, I was really, really into uh, last winter with uh, whiskey was uh, getting in four or five, sometimes six kilometers in a day. Well, gee whiz, uh, whiskey can't go around the bay right now without wanting to, to uh, come back home. So that's sort of out. And then uh, even uh, I've been thinking about getting back into skiing. Uh, my boys really enjoyed going to Holiday Mountain a couple of years back with school. Spring Hill, I could essentially walk there from my house. I wouldn't, but I could, I suppose. Uh, but that hasn't even been open to take advantage of that. And then you've got to worry about the, like, all the things that I think you would normally shift into in terms of dealing with feeling burnt out and that and that difference maker are unavailable. Like even, you know, going to a Jets game. I was used to going to eight, nine, ten, maybe a dozen Jets games a year. I've been to exactly one this year. And that sometimes has been my salvation and traveling and all that sort of thing. Been lucky enough to do some of that. But it feels like you said yesterday that the West final was a month ago. That feels like a year ago already, you know? And that's just that. So long answer to your question. I, I don't know if, if I have any strategies, but I think I need to come up with some new ones. Loren? Well, I actually just said to, we do these uh, evaluations right at work with your managers every couple months or six months or however that goes. And one of the messages that came back to me was, you know, maybe you should try to find a period in your day where you don't look at your phone. And I was like, it's impossible. <laughs> like, you know, there's so much work to do and it feels like you're always working. Plus there's just stuff going on. And so the advice was, well, why don't you set a goal to maybe Fridays is at two o'clock from two o'clock Fridays, at least try it to the morning. You know, like try to get through at night where you don't respond to something work related and do that by putting your phone away. And I'm going to effort that, but I, I, that might make, might make me feel more stressed. So I don't have an answer to that. And I do want to know, Brad, how you're feeling. You just had maybe uh, the least amount of days of, of all of us over the holiday break. And you mentioned you slept a lot, which is healthy. I, but well, I, don't, I don't know if that solves it all, right? <laughs> well, I, 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 I didn't have fewer days. I just, I think I, I just spread them out differently. I, cause I, I, this is the third week in a row where I'm only working three days in the week. And that's kind of cool. And even with that, I already feel the, the burnout. I, I definitely am more prone to burnout, uh, or have become more prone to burnout throughout this pandemic. Um, and it's, it, a lot of it has to do with the fact that neither of you are here. Uh, you know, I just miss, Working with the both of you, I feel like I'm constantly tethered to my phone. And then I end up feeling guilty when I'm at home because, uh, full disclosure here, of the three of us, I am the one, I feel like I work the least when we no. are not in this building because I can't. Like, that's that's my way 
of de- making sure I don't burn out because as far as I'm concerned, the only hours in the workday that truly matter are 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. And if I spend my entire day working, I can't bring it. I can't do my job. Yeah. So I just, I, when I decide I need a break, then I just take the break. And, it, and I don't care what's going on. I don't care if we're getting blasted by emails by our bosses. If you really need to get a hold of me, call me. So that's kind of how I deal with it. We try that, right? How many, how many times do we say to each other, you're on vacation? I don't want to hear from you. And then when that person texts, we say, you're not allowed to be texting us right now. Go away. <laughs> Try to enjoy yourself. But it's really, really hard. And I think this conversation is going to get harder for people. I'm going to read a text right now. And then I know we have to get going, Brett. But one of our listeners works in the school system and says the, their anxiety level is through the roof this morning. So many staff who called in sick for today. This is not going to be good at all. And that's in the days when they're trying to prep for remote learning. So if you think about the stress in your life, there's all these different variables in place for schools and police and firefighters and hospitals. And I, you know, I try to consider myself to be grateful for the space I'm at right now, but I'm still hunched over my desk and my clenching my fists and anxious myself. So good luck, everyone. (laughs) Here's the tweet from one Loren McNabb yesterday. Quote, I wish the people of my house would stop taking the phone chargers of this house and moving them to outlets unknown. Loren, care to elaborate? I think that says it all. But literally every night when I go to go to bed, I want to plug the phone in because it's my alarm. Go beside my bed, no charger. Thus begins the process of searching what sometimes feels like 97 different outlets in the house. I have found them under beds, beside beds, in the living room, downstairs, in the office, besides a washer, in the washer. You know, I just am done with it. And I need it. And I, and then you go through that thing where you can't find a single one. And then they throw up suddenly, like in the house three months later, and there's 72 <laughs> of them. So I just, it's my mo- it's right now, it is my largest pet peeve is the phone charger. Doesn't everybody just have their own charger for their phone? Oh, some of them have names on them and labels and stickers on them. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I need to like glue it or like I'm going to staple gun it or have a thing where you touch it and you get tasered. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So we want to have a chat about the little things that drive you nuts in your household. Or maybe it's at work. Like I live at home. I live alone. Forte lives alone. So if there's something driving us nuts at home, then we just need to look in the mirror and figure out what we're doing wrong. But at work, we might have some gripes. You know, maybe there's an item you would like to glue to your desk so it doesn't say get up and walk away with someone else. So let's go around the horn here. Uh, Cameron Portress, let's start with you, sir. <laughs> Well, the thing that uh, probably bugged me the most at work was uh, the headphone situation. I'm not going to sit here and name any names, but uh, sometimes my headphones at my work desk, when we still had people in the office, would, uh, I don't know, know, would just transfer to the desk (laughs) next to me or the one over to the other side. Uh, And, you know, I, I... you know, Tell it's just a, it's a little bothersome thing. And, you know, I would say, you know, hey, where's my headphones? I'm trying to get some work done. And, you know, it's a little, I don't know what else to say, but. How do I not know you didn't steal them first from me? <laughs> <laughs> you ever think of that, Poitras? I, I, I have no proof. I have no evidence. <laughs> uh, Mackling, what about you? In our house, it actually is earbuds uh, along with the chargers, but earbuds seem to go 
missing all the time. And uh, it's gotten to the point now uh, when Jackie and I went to California back in November, I bought her a very expensive set of earbuds so that she could uh, listen to the movie on the phone and on the airplane. And now she has them hidden. I'm the only one that knows where these earbuds are. <laughs> the kids know they exist. And I believe they are hunting for them on a constant basis. <laughs> they will not find them. I have my own. They are a bright blue. And so uh, if anybody tries to steal those, they will be caught red-handed immediately. Because we have about a half a dozen pair of those Apple ones that are innocuous, right? It's like, oh, these are mine. No, those are yours. These yeah. are mine. And it, it is an absolute um, certain kind of show around here <laughs> several times a week based on earbuds alone. I couldn't stick someone else's earbuds in my ears. I'm sorry. That just creeps me yeah, out. Teenage really? boys. I've they stuck don't your care. earbuds in my ears. Oh, don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. And Loren, I, I only ever mentioned the, the headphones because I'm literally the issue at the house that I'm at my place. So I, I'm, I'm throwing you under the bus to save my skin. I don't mind. I know what I am. I'm a headphone stealer. <laughs> uh, what about you, Skylar? Well, I actually, I was racking my brain trying to think of uh, a couple of good examples of this because I live with a couple of... Uh, you know, college-aged guys, and, you know, this place is often a mess, and I'm often the one cleaning up, but uh, after reading Loren's tweet for the first time this morning, Brett, when you sent it out, I uh, I just had this flashback, and now I remember this clear as day, September 12th, 20, uh, 2019. Oh, he knows uh, that date! A of a fr- I, I know, because it's, it's the day after my friend's birthday. Um, we uh, went out for brunch, and I gave everybody a ride, and a friend of a friend uh, brought their phone charger at my request because I couldn't find mine at the time. So I just wanted to plug my phone in so I had enough juice to uh, get through brunch. Uh, she lives in Brandon. Uh, she left it in my car. I use this phone charger to this day, and now I just feel like a terrible person. <laughs> so I think I might uh, make amends and give this phone charger back uh, two, uh, two and a half years later. I think it's just, uh, it's also like the longest lasting phone charger I've ever had. So that's why I, you know, usually they last like six months, but I know it's like, I got a good thing going with this one. And Forte? I bought a can opener from Dollarama a while ago and I used to keep it in my cubby hole. We have these cabinets behind me and uh, we each have our own little place where you can put stuff in. So I kept plates in there, plastic forks and knives and uh, spoons in there because we don't have cutlery here, COVID. And, uh, so, yes, yeah, so there's a few days where my can opener was missing, and then I would find what? it in the kitchen. Like, if you're going to take it, like, I don't mind if you use it, but if you're going to use it, then put it back. Don't just leave it in, in the kitchen. <laughs> and this kept happening. And finally, one time, I just took it, and I put it in my bag. And then, actually, Tristan <laughs> wrote a note, wrote an angry note on my behalf saying, Hey, where's my can opener? Give me back my can opener. <laughs> I left an angry note in my cubbyhole, and... Uh, Yes, and I come to work one day, and my cubbyhole is all messed up, and somebody was looking for the can they opener. They were rifling through they, it. Trying yeah, to, they're oh trying to find the can opener. Oh, reason. <laughs> we should get Forte a tool belt where he can, like, put different things in it, like his earbuds <laughs> and the can opener, and it's just hanging there from his belt every morning. I believe that's just called a fanny pack. I am thankful for the days off that I have had recently because I, like so many Thousands, millions of people around the world, Loren, are feeling more burned out, more prone to burnout, especially uh, since Omicron has decided to screw everything up. 
Yeah, and just because I was curious this morning, I Googled the term burnout. And in the last week alone, actually in the last 48 hours alone, there have been so many articles, dozens, written about burnout. So one of the headlines from the Daily Mail in London, it reads, Your work is not your God. Welcome to the age of the burnout epidemic. From the Global Mail, burnout may be the biggest issue leaders face in 2022. And Global News recently did a story on this, talking about burnout leading Canadians to life-changing decisions on employment and relationships, Greg. Yeah, we've been talking about this for years and stress and anger are all on the rise here. So what do we do about it? That's that's the big part of the question here. Marianne Bainton is the director of workplace strategies for mental health at Canada Life. And she's here to guide us through some of the many things we've all been feeling. Great to speak with you again, Marianne. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Happy New Year to all of you, too. I expected to come back and talk to you about what we do since the pandemic is over. Yes. Well, (laughs) that's been on the calendar for far too long. So we'll keep it there. We'll keep moving it back. And so here we are. Denial's a strategy in all this, isn't it, Marianne? (laughs) Uh, Not a good one, but yes, it's a strategy. Um, with, With this going on, even the people who really are resilient have that You know, can I do this one more time? Can I pull myself through this? And of course we can, but it takes effort. There's no doubt about it. I think we all have our own metrics to determine, you know, how we're feeling in terms of burnout. Um, But are there any sort of basic signs where we can ask ourselves, like, how do I know if I'm burned out? Yeah, so as somebody who's been there, what I can tell you is that you sleep um, as many hours as you normally do, but you wake up tired. You don't have um, the enthusiasm for people or for work. It's just this drain of energy. And it is um, something that for many people also makes them cynical about others, feeling like nobody cares, nobody um, is there for you, nobody has your back. And the reality is, it's not true. It's the way that you're feeling because of this depletion. So that's the bad news. Burnout is not pleasant. But the good news is there are things that we can do about it. So that's where we, we're hoping to provide people some answers because we had talked in the last half hour, Marianne, just about what we try to do in our own lives. And you have to really stick to them, you know, whether it be put your phone down or go for walks or whatever. You have to really create a good habit out of them. And that's hard to get into because we're in this cycle of up and downs in this pandemic of what you can and can't do, what you can and can't do, how you feel and don't feel. And I described it like a yo-yo. So how do I make sure I'm bouncing back like a yo-yo should yeah that's a good point lauren and the thing is it's like brushing our teeth that maybe that's not the most exciting thing you do every day but we do it anyways because we want to preserve them and when we're talking about our mental health and well-being we have to put those habits in play in the same way understanding the end goal but here's the thing is that if you're burned out If you are dealing with depression, if you are overwhelmed with anxiety, that's so much easier to say than to do because we're asking you to be disciplined and persistent 
at a time when you may feel completely without energy, completely without that kind of focus. But here's the three things, and there's lots of things, as you said, there's lots of things you can do, and you've got to find what works for you. But here's the three things that worked the best for me as I was recovering from burnout. One is that I had to slow down. I had to slow down the way I thought, the way that I spoke, the way that I moved. And if you understand burnout, you understand many of the people who burned out are people going 200 miles an hour, right? Even if they look like they're very slow, they're just sitting there. It's their mind is going 200 miles an hour all the time. So you need to slow that down any way that works for you. The next thing is to do only one thing at a time. I absolutely know that the three of you are often doing many things at one time because of the nature of your work, right? You're reading what's coming up next. You're figuring out what you got to do. You're managing equipment. But when you're at that place of burnout, as often as you can, try to actually focus on one thing at a time. And then the last one that I want to share is to actually choose what fills you up. Now, in the moment, you may think there's nothing or no one that really brings you joy, brings you satisfaction. But here's the thing. You have to find it. You have to do the work to figure out what is it that makes you feel either calm or energized or relaxed or whatever feeling it is that can replace this feeling of burnout. Those are tremendous suggestions, Marianne. Thanks for sharing your personal experience with us and and some of your personal strategies. We appreciate it immensely. Uh, We're just us three talking, right? Us four, just among friends. Correct. You (laughs) got it. Marianne Bainton, the Director of Workplace Strategies for Mental Health at Canada Life. Yesterday, Loren tweeted about phone chargers, wondering why is everyone in the house always got to take the phone chargers and hide them? And that had us talking about the things that drive us nuts, the little things in the household that make us go crazy. What do we got, Loren, at 204-780-6868? This listener says, I love your show and the anecdotal griping just proves misery loves company. (laughs) I love my wife, but OMG, the coffee cups. She makes and drinks half a coffee, forgets where she puts it, does it again, lather, rinse, repeat all day long, and I end up gathering like <laughs> 8 million half-full mugs every evening and growling them to the kitchen. Yes, our house has an issue with water glasses. I know a relationship that ended in divorce no. because of something like this. Well, that's just the I end. I mean, it was the, it was the straw. It was the, yeah, it was the end <laughs> of the rope. But I remember asking her and she said that the thing that finally pushed her over the edge was the complaining that she would get from her husband because of the, you know, the handful of water glasses she would leave sort of scattered throughout the house. And she said, that's it. I'm out. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the lather, rinse, repeat reference because so often these things are never ending and one of our listeners says how about finding used glasses or coffee mugs in the sink or on the counter right beside the dishwasher you think they will just throw legs and walk in the dishwasher by themselves drives me crazy just open the dishwasher and put them in 
They do not get in there yeah. by themselves. The You're best. Right, that, one. that is the best. And I still remember a few years ago, uh, because we, and we've talked before about uh, slobs in the workplace and people who don't clean up after themselves. And somebody put up a sign right above the sink that said approximately three feet southwest of this location, there is a dishwasher. <laughs> and that's where your glasses belong. Uh, of, of course, no one paid attention. So... It's time for our small town salute. And as we continue to make our way through this latest cold snap, there are a few activities which actually scream, this is perfect weather for that. Let's take a trip east of the city and let's go mushing. We say good morning to Samantha Belcor at Harness Adventure Mushing Company. Good morning, Samantha. Hi, good morning, guys. Dog sledding. What a wonderful way to celebrate winter. Tell us a little bit about your passion for this, Samantha. Yeah, so I'm happy to hopefully bring a little bit of uh, lightness and smiles to people. Um, Basically what we do here, we're just about 30 minutes east of the perimeter. Um, We have 18 uh, mostly Siberian Huskies. And um, my husband and I, Makandre and I, um, have been dog sledding up for... Uh, close to 12 years and we were up in Churchill for eight of those years and then we moved down here about four years ago with 13 and decided we wanted to share that with uh, the public and so what we do is we offer uh, a two-hour private tour for people to come and meet the dogs and get lots of snuggles and uh, learn about dog sledding and the history and then they hop on the sled for uh, about 20 minutes and they get to see the dogs in action. If people are looking to put a smile on their face or feel a little more joy, they should go to your website, harnessadventure.ca. There's that great photo of you with your 18 Siberian Huskies, but then you also have the individual photos with their names, Button, Cash, Togo, JPEG, (laughs) is that one? Am I getting that right? Yes, that's our oldest, (laughs) 16, yeah. Oh, JPEG, I love the name. And dog sledding (laughs) I'm seeing now amongst the pictures that's just one of the adventures tell us about the glamping that could go along depending on the package yeah so that's one thing that we've been super impressed our our fellow manitobans have been uh excited for this winter with the cold temperatures uh but for the last couple of years we've been we have a canvas tent a prospector tent uh on our property we've got 75 acres here and um so in the evening we take one couple out and do a, a loop with the dogs and then we tuck them into this little tent with the it's got a wood stove and a little propane heater and a, a queen size bed and a little sofa and they get to spend the night out there um kind of under the stars it's really cool and we've actually had people booked for all the minus 40 nights that we've had and everybody's loved it the dogs look pretty happy in this picture do they love this like, or how, and if so how much do they love doing it yeah, you know, it's, I mean, it is very innate for them, but a uh, big reason why we do this and especially uh, the way we build our tours is so that people really get to spend time with them because the dogs, they love the, the interaction with people. And then once they get their harness on and they're up pulling their ducks in their zone and it's been really cool. We weren't operating last year, but this year, we we know that they love it. We know they love to kind of show people what they do. But the first couple of days we started back at tours, they were 
jumping and, and barking and so excited. So that was really nice to see. One serious, one not serious uh, question for you, Samantha. How's the Wi-Fi in the uh, in the tent? Uh, you know what? It's actually pretty good. There's no like. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were tell me that there was none. <laughs> I think it'd be okay not to have it if we're t- talking about burning yeah, out and escape, yeah, Greg. Yeah. Maybe the it's good to not like have it. To, they like to unplug, and uh, it, it, it is. It's kind of. It's, there's a little bit of luxury if you're like a really intense outdoorsy person, but if you're not then it is it is a it is an adventure for sure all right so you have to make your own choices there and how do we connect with you this sounds absolutely wonderful and uh and maybe just outline the covid protocols as well before we let you run yeah yeah so the best way is by email um i am actually a full-time nurse so i'm working through uh, all of this with everybody else. And uh, so what we've asked is that every all our guests are fully vaccinated and they bring their their vaccine card. And then we've got, we wear, about 45 minutes of the tour is um, indoors in our shop. So we wear masks and socially distance and far below the, the 50% capacity. And uh, we've, we've got some, some, enhanced cleaning and uh so far it's been going really well um the best way to contact us for booking tour is uh by email mushing at harnessadventure.ca i just wanted to quickly jump in first of all you're a nurse so you get very much the need to go escape and and the burnout that might be going on right now i i imagine yeah Yeah, Yeah. i think the the most important thing is that we're all in the same boat and just to be patient and kind as much as we can well, thank you for that and for all you do. And just now, completely non-serious, my kids tried to get our lab to pull them on their toboggans the other day. It was semi-successful, but can it was quite fun. But can any dog be a musher? Can I turn him into a musher, a mushing dog? Somewhat, somewhat. The hardest part is the, is the focus. And so with the Huskies, like they've got that in them. But if you start at a young age, then... Yeah, they get used to it and they they find some joy in it, but it depends on the dog for sure. And I've got two quick questions before we let you run here. Um, I had a dog who was part husky who we mm-hmm. would he started singing to us one day. I follow Aww. I follow some huskies on Instagram who like to sing. Do your huskies like to sing? Yes, they do. They are pretty talkative, although right now all my indoor dogs are sleeping but uh <laughs> they are they do like to sing and when you're in the tent you get to hear a little bit of that and then finally before we let you go i we need somebody to settle this uh for us because i always forget and then i get to the air and i don't know how do is it richer manitoba no, or riche riche okay <laughs> let's commit that to memory i'm going with that every time <laughs> let's continue around yeah. the city is it risho or rishat Let's just keep going. <laughs> Risho, I guess. I actually, we're not originally from Manitoba, no. but uh, <laughs> that's what I, I just thought. thought you could get us to help us out with all the RMs. <laughs> I'm just going to keep going here. <laughs> Samantha Belcour at Harness Adventure Mushing Company. The website, once again, harnessadventure.ca. Thank you very much for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, guys. Stay safe. And you got to go to their website and just look at this picture. There's a dog hanging off the back of the couch in the the back, tongue sticking way out. Looks 
so they look so happy, and now I'm happy looking at all these dogs. This They're is great find, GMAC. This looks fun. Today marks the one-year anniversary of the insurrection on Capitol Hill. Yeah, and there's so much that's been written and said about this over the last 365 days. One of the headlines at globalnews.ca, January 6th Capitol riot was a crime on our country. This from lawmakers recalling the chaos of that day. Global's Reggie Reggie Cicchini joins us now from Washington. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. Is this day being marked in any way? Yes, it absolutely is. Uh, We are about to hear from the president uh, and from the vice president. They will speak inside the U.S. Capitol from Statuary Hall. That is the uh, the area underneath the the infamous dome uh, of the U.S. Capitol building. Uh, And this is going to be a moment to discuss what happened last year, the events that led up to the attack last year, what's happened in the year since the attack. Uh, And it's going to be a veiled swipe at former President Donald Trump. Joe Biden is going to talk to America and say, quote, are we going to be a nation that accepts political violence as a norm? Is this going to be a nation where partisan election officials are allowed to overturn the legally expressed will of the people? That is a kind of finger point directly at the uh, ongoing rhetoric over the big lie over election fraud. Reggie, there have been a number of surveys come out in the last several weeks with regard to the future of democracy in the United States and also the future of these sorts of events, violence, adjacent to and attached to the outcomes of elections and and a surprising number more than half and it doesn't matter if you're a republican or a democrat seem to think that this is going to become the norm how how bothersome is this i mean look this is partly why the investigations are, are kind of parallel uh, into what happened on january 6th the federal investigation to deal with the the rioters and those that were responsible but the political investigation to figure out what went wrong and how to stop this from happening uh, again look you're right there are a growing number of people especially within the republican party that feel what happened on january 6th could potentially be something that needs to happen going forward that the, the there, there was a there was a poll that came out last week that showed that a growing number of people feel that violence against the government should be okay if you don't feel like what you know might have happened in an election uh, was fair. And that is something that is concerning for a growing number uh, of Americans. These, these political investigations that are really targeted towards the former president and the people around him are to try and understand uh, uh, what happened and how to make sure that January 6th doesn't happen again. That is why you're going to hear the comments from Joe Biden uh, kind of pointing his finger at his predecessor. Donald Trump was set to speak today, but he's canceled that news conference. Why is it? Why did he cancel? Well, I mean, look, there's a variety of different reasons, and you can kind of pick one or the other. There is the the kind of real reason or one of the realities that very few networks are going to carry this speech from former President Donald Trump. Uh, that partly why he's not going to hold this anymore and he's simply going to bring the comments he was going to make and put them into a rally when he heads to Arizona in a few days but also there are advisors and allies to the former president that said look there are investigations that are targeting you that are circling around the people that you were associated with anything you say could potentially get swept up into that investigation and potentially uh, add more fuel to an already burning fire so there are reasons why he may not be uh, why he's not holding this speech tonight but keep your eye on uh, on inboxes because he is already sending out emails this morning. These emails will continue through the afternoon to target specific members in his base. 
Joe Biden speaking, President Joe Biden speaking later today uh, and trying to look forward in terms of how we combat this, Reggie. But looking back, at least 150, by the last article I read, rioters have been sentenced for their role that they played that day one year ago. Any jail time? Like, what's been the, the harshest punishment to be handed down? Because that's been one of the criticisms in terms of how the courts are handling this. Yeah, and look, inside that federal investigation, there have been 160-ish people that have pled guilty, pleaded guilty. Uh, some of them have received several years uh, in jail. 700 people or more have been charged uh, as a part of this investigation. The FBI, it's the largest in FBI history, says that there are hundreds of more around the country that are still unidentified identified, including one person who dropped off pipe bombs at the at the uh, Republican and Democratic National Headquarters a year ago last night. So this is a widespread and ongoing investigation. More people will be swept up in it. It is not something that's simply going to end today or tomorrow or if Democrats lose their power uh, at the end of the year. This is something that is likely going to last for months, if not years, uh, and ultimately potentially become one of those precedent centers that uh, 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 precedent uh, setters that if you partake in an action like this, there is is going to be a consequence handed out regardless of what your belief was. Global's Reggie Cicchini joining us live on 680 CJOB from Washington. Reggie, thank you very much. Thank you. And if you want to read more, you can just Google Global News U.S. Capitol, and you'll get probably a dozen headlines from the last 24 to 36 hours on this important anniversary. just want to read a quick text message from Lee on the small things, the little things that drive you nuts about your household after Loren tweeted yesterday lamenting the fact that phone chargers magically get up and walk away and find themselves in outlets unknown. Lee says, what drives me crazy is leaving closet doors open. If it opens, it closes. It's a closet. Lee, thank you for that. 204-780-6868. You got a pet peeve from the household that you want to weigh in on? Shoot us a text and we'll share them throughout the morning. But in the meantime, we're excited for this conversation. Uh, and it's funny to, to open with that because by-elections... <laughs> are I wrote not- this just for you, Brett. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> by-elections are not often considered to be exciting events. But there is a race brewing in Winnipeg that is attracting some attention. Yeah, so of course with the resignation of former Premier Brian Pallister, there's a seat open in Fort White. And while there's no date set for the by-election yet, it has to happen within the next couple months because it has to happen within six months of Pallister's resignation. So this race is particularly interesting, not just because of who used to hold this seat, but in October, former Winnipegger, and former Winnipeg Blue Bomber Willard Reeves threw his hat in the ring for the Liberals. And now another Blue Bomber is seeking the Tory nomination, Greg. He's joined us on the start in the past, sometimes to talk football, but more often than not to talk small business. We welcome to the show entrepreneur, Abby Kong. Good morning, Abby. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Well, congratulations on this shift. Um, why on earth would you want to do this? <laughs> why do you want to get into politics? <laughs> That is a great question. Uh, you know, I, I love serving. I love public service. If you look at what I've done uh, with my time with the Blue Bombers, my community involvement, entrepreneurship, small business, charities I'm involved in, everything I've done since I've been here in 2006 has been to give back to the community. And when I look at where I'm at in my life, I think this is just a natural progression on how I can give back the most to this community. And that's, pub- that's public uh, service and politics. So you're working to enter this game at a time when there's, I think, prop- 
probably more scrutiny on our political leaders than ever before, particularly in light of this pandemic. And so should you get this nomination and should you you potentially find yourself with a seat at the table, what would you do mem- differently as a possible member of the Tory caucus? Well, what better time to get involved when the chips are down? As you, you know, if the stack, card stacked against us, so, you know, a good leader wants to get involved to make change, to make things better for the province, for the city, um, for my constituency of four whites. So I'm very excited to work with uh, the new premier and the party here. You know, things that we've heard over and over again is the healthcare. We need to address the healthcare. We need to address our economy. We need to address how we're going to get out of COVID. And those are all things I think with my experience and background, uh, I bring to the table. So I'm, I'm very excited to be getting in the ring right now when, when things are bad. That's what good leaders do. And that's what I want to do. You say that your experience uh, helps with that stuff. That's what you bring to the table. But how would you say your experience uh, would make you an asset in that way? Well, you know, whether it's on the football field or whether it's in business or whether it's community, it's a strong voice. It's a strong leader. It's working with people. It's teamwork and collaboration. It's getting together, figuring out what's happening, how to address those and, and make it better. Right. You really Part of that also goes to really listening to people in your constituency. I've been out talking to people and hearing what concerns are. And, you know, that's what a good leader does. That's what I've done with my time in football and business. And, you know, I'm not just saying I've done this. I've actually been doing it since I got here. Um, and, and that's what I'm really excited to bring forward. Why this party, Aubie? Uh, Heather Stephenson already uh, not rating very high in the popularity rankings. Uh, this government is not very popular right now. Why the PCs? I'm very excited to work with the PCs. I'm very excited to work with Heather. I think her collaborative approach, her big tent, her working together, not apart approach is what this province needs. She's only been there for a couple of months. We got to give her some time to get the ship right. And she's going to do that with the way she leads. I've known Heather for a long time. So I'm super excited if I am, you know, win the nomination first. I got to win the nomination first here. Uh, from there, I got to go on to win the by-election. But if that's the case, I'm excited to work with the party uh, and Heather and, and, and write the ship. I know it's early days, but I know you're in testing the waters to see if you should throw your hat in the ring. I'm guessing you've talked to people and you've gone door to door to see where they're at. I'm curious what kind of feedback you're hearing, because as Greg mentioned, popularity is low, not just for the premier right now, but for the party. And, and there's, a, there's that overwhelming sense of just frustration and anger out there right now, Wabi. What are people telling you? Yeah, I, I think that's that's what I'm hearing. Uh, frustration and anger. I mean, COVID's been around for two years. People are fed up. I think any government in any city in any province is having the same problem. Uh, I would be remiss if, I, if I, that wasn't the case. Everyone is having this problem. The biggest thing top of mind right now for people that I hear is COVID. We got to get out of this, and we got to get out of this together. You know, enough of this divisiveness and fighting. We got to get out of this together as a community is top concern. And then how do we recover from that? Right. When COVID is over and hopefully we're coming to the end of it here in the next six months in spring and summer. How do we recover from this on an economic perspective? Right. People are really worried about jobs uh, and restarting the economy. And part of that was done over the last two years with me with my initiative at Good Local. I mean, I saw that happening right away. I said, I got to support local. We started a business. Uh, and We brought in over a million dollars of sales directly to local businesses. And that was me as an entrepreneur. And a buddy sitting there one day saying, hey, how can we support local? Imagine what I could do if I had the tools to work with and the team around me. You know, I own six restaurants. It's been tough. We're one of the hardest hit sectors. And, you know, there, how do we get back to full time? How do we get back to hours? How do we get people confidence back 
in coming to support businesses. So the recovery is a big part of coming out of COVID uh, and this pandemic, but also working together and, and coming out of this stronger together. Abi Khan, former Winnipeg Blue Bomber and current entrepreneur in the city of Winnipeg, throwing his hat in the provincial political ring, seeking the nomination for Fort White. Abi, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it, sir. Well, I appreciate being on. And, you know, but one last plug I'll say is if you're, you know, you want to support me and you want to see what I'm doing, check out my website, voteabi.ca. I got to win the nomination first. So if I don't win that nomination, this is all for naught. And then, uh, you know, I'll go back to entrepreneurship. But uh, I would love the opportunity to represent the people of Fort White. It is safe to say that every place is, every workplace is struggling with staffing issues due to COVID. Right now, about 5% of the staff at the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service are out due to COVID. And at the Winnipeg Police Service, it is closer to 15%. And so that's led the Winnipeg Police Service to declare a state of emergency in order to shore up their ranks. A move they haven't made since the 1990s. What does it all mean? Well... For now, 80 officers are moving from the community support and guns and gang units to general patrol. But they're also looking at other measures, Loren, including canceling vacations. So one of the goals here, Chief Smythe says, is to maintain at least the minimum 28 cars per shift. He couldn't say whether ongoing challenges were leading to a rise in response times. There was a comment that, you know, so far that's been relatively unaffected, but there is a but here. Community activist Sal Burrow speaks regularly about policing and crime concerns and is our guest this morning. How's it going, Sal? Hey there. It's a little cold outside. My dog wanted a very short walk this morning. I said yesterday, that's my barometer. I, when the dog doesn't want to go out, I know it's too cold. So uh, speaking of, you know, when, when we go out and talk to people and what we're seeing, I'm curious, when you first heard this news from the police yesterday, I talked to you on the phone and you sort of sighed heavily to me. What was, your, what was going through your mind? Well, my, you know, <clears throat> I've got to know an, an awful lot of police officers. So my first thought was, you know, these guys are going out. Uh, many of the people they're confronting are arresting or talking to aren't aren't vaccinated then they're sitting in confined cars to two people in a car um you know we've got to have some empathy for these guys who guys meaning men and women that are that are getting covid or are threatened with getting covid so the first thought is about them you know back before covid they used to come and sit in my kitchen and uh we'd argue, discuss, and talk about making the community safer. Since COVID, I, you know, we haven't been able to do that. But, uh, you know, it's really tough on these guys. And I have to say that the inner city needs professional, competent policing more than anybody else. And sure, there are issues around policing, but uh, it's the inner city where the high crime is, where really good, honest people live and uh they need the police. So I'll talk about those conversations, if you don't mind. Talk about the connection and the connection that's maybe lacking, because I know that there are police that that also try to connect with the community in a different way, and that's being affected by COVID nineteen. Their ability to to make uh, proactive decisions and and do proactive policing and connecting with individuals in the community and and maybe uh, steering them in the right direction. Fair to say. Well, you know, this is, you know, I don't, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't want to have Danny Smythe's job right now, but I, 
I'm very concerned about the decisions they're making of who they're you, they're switching over to general patrol. Of course, we need people to answer 911, but the community support unit is one of the most effective uh, community policing. It's there to follow up on issues, not just respond to 911 calls. And they have been the major force, along with the, with bylaw enforcement and making North Point Douglas a safer area. And then gang, gangs and guns, to take them off that. Um, I mean, gangs are, you know, we, we've managed to discuss, uh, dissuade gangs from coming into North Point Douglas because of the work with the police and the, the active community. But if we back off and allow the gangs to regroup and reorganize, because gangs and guns, one of the things they're doing is keeping the gangs on the run. Uh, Winnipeg Police Service, I'm told by other police officers, has the highest percentage of police officers who work 8.30 to 4.30 in the main police station. And uh, I would strongly recommend uh, that they be looking at moving people out of daytime and get them get them going out on the street again. It'll be a good experience for them and uh, would allow community sport and gangs and guns to still work and protecting uh, inner city people. So, yeah, no, I think uh, they've got to make hard decisions, but uh, I would suggest uh, getting some more people out of that headquarters would be a really good idea. Well, and I, as somebody who works downtown, um, you know, I would... L- I'd love to just walk to work in the morning. I mean, I walk home every day, but I would never walk to work uh, through downtown at at three thirty in the morning, four in the morning, because there's no way I would feel safe. But if there was an increased police presence overnight, presence overnight, I think that would help. So, do you think that that would make people feel safer, uh, not just you know in downtown, but in other areas of Winnipeg? Well, you know, there's a short term, what do we do right now with COVID? And then there's a longer term. And I'd love to discuss the longer term because we've got, I have said from day one that we can't hire enough police and social workers to deal with the crime and social issues we've got. You've got to have the community involved. And I'm working with, uh, as a good old lefty, I'm working with people like the Chamber of Commerce, uh, apartment block owners, uh, other industries, to, to get more eyes on the street in the downtown area. And uh, that's the longer term one. In the short term, um, you know, we've got to keep those cars on the street. Uh, we've got, we really have to keep the gangs on the run. And so we ne- I'm just repeating for the, for the short term, we need to get people doing things that are, Stop doing things that are less important and get them out on the main thing. One of the things I've done during COVID is I've ta- I talk to government officials all the time. And I can think of three directors, two provincial government and one city, who were complaining about having to move their staff around for COVID. And I said to them, well, I bet you what you're doing is looking at what's the least important things you're doing and switching, stopping doing that and doing you know the things that are more important. They all three agreed to do that. And I think that's what the police department has to do. And the other factor is out of crisis comes creativity. Now out of this crisis of COVID, all sorts of organizations, including the police, should be looking at what are they doing that is less important and what should they be doing that's more important. I am sick and tired of us being the highest crime area in the city. I'm sick and tired of us having 
close to record murder rates. That That's separate from the issue of the COVID thing, I'm sorry. But we need to have discussions on creative ways to do that. And uh, uh, sorry, I'm, I get carried no, no, away on okay. that No, that's okay. Not at all, because you're making some important points. And you talk about creativity out of crisis. Prior to this COVID crisis, we were talking an awful lot about crime and meth and petty crime and violence and as a result of the drug use in the city. What is the crime situation as far as you're concerned, either in your neighborhood or Winnipeg? We know what some of the stats tell us, Sal, but what are you seeing? Like, are we making improvements? You talked improvements on gangs, but what about other issues? Well, I have to tell you, in North Point Douglas, while there is still crime, um, just communicating with a sergeant uh, a couple of days ago and others, we're not seeing a major increase in crime in North Point Douglas. It's still there. Um Mind you, Project Matriarch, the uh, organized crime and community support unit, took out one of the biggest uh, local drug dealers uh, not too long ago. Anyway, but otherwise, in the rest of the city, I'm getting uh, calls from other areas. And I'm old. I can't solve the whole city's problems. But there is a desperate, desperate need to involve the community. Uh, (laughs) Just to give you a good story, uh, through a friend of my partner's, uh, they asked me, they're, they're son had and a nephew had a small business downtown and uh, it was getting broken into and the cars smashed in the parking lot so they asked me and i put them in touch with the community support unit community support unit was there and what they did was uh when the driver the police were doing their notes and waiting for calls and things like that they parked in this particular business's parking lot for a couple of nights and you know that send a signal to people who did that kind of stuff, bad, bad behavior, not to put bother that place. And that solved the crop. One of the things that I've looked at is how do we get people of goodwill? How do they talk to each other? How can they move fast to step in when somebody's being threatened or crime is happening? And, uh, you know, that's one of the beauties of community support unit. And, uh, you know, the, the Desperately, in the short term, we need to keep them out there helping people like that small businessman. But at the longer term, we need to figure out how to get the community identifying really fast. Where is that drug dealer moving in? Uh, Where is that slum house that we need to make sure that landlord is forced to fix it up so people have decent housing? There there are things that can be done that are not cost issues. And this is, you know, the police force is looking at major financial issues. The things that I'm talking about uh, are not cost issues. And I'm mentoring a couple of people in the inner city who, with a little bit of help, could do what we've been doing in Point Douglas. And again, it's not not the silver bullet. It doesn't end things. But when the community's on side, we go back to Jane Jacobs, eyes on the street, people identify problems and involve people who can solve them, which includes the landlord. You know, our first call when there's a drug dealer in North Point Douglas isn't to the police, isn't to the criminal justice system, it's to the landlord. And one of the reasons we don't have a lot of drug dealers is they bloody well know if they start dealing drugs in Point Douglas, they're likely to get evicted really fast. And that takes pressure off the police. And I, But I do want to go back Sal, I'm afraid I'm gonna. I'm sorry. I hate to 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 cut you off that way, uh, but we are we are out of time. Yep, I understand. And thanks so much for listening. Uh, I really appreciate it. Hope we can talk about crime prevention later. 
I've got a text message on burnout I'd like to read here, if you two don't mind, because that's one of our primary topics throughout the day on CJOB. And one of our listeners says something um, that I, I, I think maybe a lot of people might be feeling. And it reads, I've got burnout mastered and under control. I'm just numb to the world, no feelings, and unable to react anymore. And while that might sound sad on the surface, I think for me, I remember thinking back to the the beginning of the pandemic, which I can't believe how far away that is now. But uh, I almost buckled. Um, I think it was the second. It was when all it was. The, I think it might have been St. Patrick's Day or the day before St. Patrick's Day when all the businesses started closing mm-hmm. voluntarily before uh, as, as everything was so uncertain and all these businesses were shutting their doors. And uh, I sat on my couch. Just I didn't know what to think or how to react or I thought the world was collapsing around me and and I sort of went into that same kind of mode I just I found I was getting so overwhelmed by emotion that I just cut it all off and uh, I feel like I kind of lost some humanity in doing that but at the same time there are times where I have to cut it off otherwise I get overrun Yep. I think that's healthy in some respects because you have to say this is this is this is not my time to deal with this. I need to walk away or leave this. And on the other hand, if you're doing that too often, you might become like the, our listener was saying, you know, where you just you're just numb to it because it's easier. It's an easier way to cope. And Greg, at six thirty, we were talking about this, and um, Brett asked you, "How do you deal?" And you're like, "I don't really have an answer." And that's that's part of it, I think, for so many of us. Yeah, we don't know. And and maybe in the past, I, I suggested that you sort of maybe automatically go into, uh, you know, prevent defense or into these modes that uh, you're used to uh, heading into when you feel as though things are going sideways, but they aren't necessarily available to you. And so, Brett, as you're talking about, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, I was the exact opposite. I was hypersensitive to every single story as to what was going on. And, you know, with uh, two kids at home, you start thinking about, well, what happens if the absolute worst thing goes here? What if we have no food? What if, you know, uh, the supply chain completely collapses? What if society starts turning on itself? And so I was doing the exact opposite. I was stocking up the freezer. I was stocking up on medicine. I was stocking up on, I wasn't stocking up on toilet paper, though. We were well set here. But the whole idea of, you know, thinking three, four, five steps ahead was exhausting. It was depressing. It was almost inhumane, some of the things that were going through my mind. And so as, as some people would deal with, with things by tuning it out, Unfortunately, I was I was the exact opposite way, and that's I, not good either. Well, yeah, indeed, and and to, just to clarify, I didn't cut myself off from the news. I just I had to cut off right. the emotional connection because otherwise, I would have just collapsed under the weight of the pressure I was putting on myself. Um, and I don't have any, you know, you've got kids to be responsible for, right? That gives you a different mindset. Whereas I'm just, uh, you know, an irresponsible man child. Uh, no, so. no, no, no. <laughs> I hope that's not the way that came across. <laughs> oh, gosh, no. God, no. Uh, but I am an irresponsible man-child. <laughs> Want to take a look at what school divisions are doing. They've got just one week to prepare, Loren, uh, to bring students safely back into the classroom. 
Yeah, and you think about that timeline that they're working with. So they have one week that essentially started for most, most school divisions today, with today being the date that most of those staff are coming back. And they knew they were coming back today a few weeks ago. They knew they had to come back and make preparations, but now they're prepping for both in-class learning eventually and remote learning. Global's Abigail Turner has more. Come on, why More would you More questions fire? than answers. That's the message from Manitobans after the province announced they're moving to a one-week remote learning period starting Monday. These are the actual vocab words. The province says the one week will allow schools to prepare for a move to level orange. I don't think anyone in the stakeholders group expl explicitly said that we would like a week of remote learning so we could prepare. The message has always been if public health determines that we should move to level orange, then we, we need time to prepare for that. But what exactly Level Orange means remains unclear for the school board association. Well, I'm not an epidemiologist. I, I don't know exactly what the pandemic Level Orange in schools will look like with the Omicron variant in Manitoba communities as the, as the variable here. According to the provincial website, Level Orange means K-12 schools may be more restricted by occupancy limits and more requirements for remote learning, especially for grades 9 to 12. What is one week really going to do to make it safer for our kids to go back to school. Staffing contingency plans are also being discussed by some school divisions. Trisha Clausen is a parent of two young boys on top of filling in as an occasional substitute teacher. She says even before the winter break, the need for subs dramatically increased. There was definitely a ramp up for sure of, you know, people needing um, substitute teachers, absolutely, even before Christmas. Clausen says she's torn on wanting her kids to be safe, but also making sure they're provided with the best education. As for rapid test and PPE distribution, the Manitoba School Board Association says that's up to the Department of Education to make sure it gets to schools in time for January 17th. Abigail Turner, Global News. So still, uh, no, that's not my job, that's your job. So I expect that to continue for a little while longer until supply doesn't become an issue. I think as, as long as supply is an issue, people are going to be pointing fingers at one another when it comes to these rapid tests. But, you know, we've just had this discussion about what's going on at the Winnipeg Police Service and the availability of police officers. How quickly does that conversation uh, become the prominent one with regards to school. Like, mm -hmm. We can want our kids to be at school as badly as we want to. We can do remote learning for a week, two weeks, or a month. Uh, but how quickly, Loren, do you anticipate the conversation switches to there simply aren't enough people well enough to head into school to take care of all the classrooms and, and, all, the, and all the responsibilities that go, go with uh, teaching our kids? Well, we knew that was an issue in part in the third wave. Classes could still continue, but it was a, a big challenge. And then we did have some areas of remote. And then, of course, speaking to this now this morning, right as soon as we started talking about burnout at 630, we had two texts come in, one from a principal saying he was like feeling sick with anxiety because there had already been so many sick calls. Another staff member in the education system wrote to say there had been seven calls already at her school this morning and so it's we're still at the start of this I, I think shortages are going to be a huge issue and then you throw in the fact that you know depending on how it works and and tracing and close contacts you know you you might have people out for even longer than that so it, it's everyone's issue right now but when you're throwing that on top of already heavy workloads be it the crime or the hospital or our schools I, I don't know how the teachers can do that if they have to stay home 
and or can they work from home? I, I mean, I, what, what does that question become then, Brett? Like, oh, well, if you're just doing remote learning, can you have COVID and remote learn from home? Well, and that's uh, that's one of the things that I've wondered about. If if I were to get Omicron, for example, like I don't have the uh, the kit at home. If I wanted to work at home, I don't have anything at home. So I guess I should probably speak to engineers to get that sort of those wheels in motion. But let's say I do go home with Omicron. At what point do I decide? that I'm ready to work or will there be an expectation to work? And then if you're a student, who makes that decision uh, on that side as well? Is it up to the students? Is it up to the teachers? Is it up to the parents? I don't know. But as far as the um, the burnout thing goes, like we spoke to a grade 12 student yesterday who was remarkably optimistic and good for her. Um, but I'm wondering, uh, GMAC, you don't have to speak directly for your kids if, if that's too personal, but I'm just wondering if you're getting a sense from uh, from them. Maybe they've talked about how their friends are feeling. Um, how are they feeling as it pertains to what they're going through for the la- what they've been going through for the last two years because they obviously they're miss- missing out on a lot of different things and maybe mm-hmm. are looking forward or are hoping to get to do certain things and now they're having to scale back again. Um, that's got to be tough for a teenager. Yeah, there's no question about it. But uh, it's been said before, and I'll I'll reiterate the fact that our kids are as resilient as they come. Uh, however, I think that having the discussions with them is really important because I think they hide, you know, so many things with regard to their feelings about different situations. And so I'm trying to talk to them. I'm trying to make sure that uh, if this is concerning them, I I know we had a discussion, you know, when the numbers exploded uh, three weeks ago, when they started to explode with regards to the case counts, I had a very calm and and deliberate conversation with my boys. I said, are you concerned about the number of cases? Yeah, it feels like it's everywhere, Dad. I said, well, it is everywhere, and it's going to be everywhere. We've done everything we can do. You're double vaccinated, so we've taken that precaution. Uh, We do our best to, you know, to do all the other things that are recommended by by Manitoba Health, and then we even go a little bit above and beyond that from time to time. All I can tell you this, guys, that if if you get this, if you get COVID, you're going to be okay. And, and and dad dad is going to promise you that you're going to be okay and uh, that you know that's a big promise right um but i could sense a, a little bit of relief something that they weren't verbalizing but i could tell maybe it was concerning them a little bit because when they're hearing these things they, they don't have the same uh, processing abilities necessary they're, sometimes they're smarter than we are and and cut through the bs a little bit quicker but that's definitely one of the discussions we've had in the last few weeks and then now i know with the remote lear- learning and the and the uh, social aspect of, of school is a big deal for both my kids one in particular really loves the social aspect and and i know it's going to be tougher for both of them i think one of the things you know, we can say they're resilient, but it's over and over and over again. Right. And so you're the same way we're all saying, ah, like, here we go again. Well, I don't know how a nine-year-old or 10-year-old or 12-year-old or three-year-old deal with that. With their, You know, you try to give them the best coping strategies you can. And, and here, when I informed everybody that there was no school Next week, at least no in-class learning. The follow-up question is, okay, why? And he tried to explain that. And then the follow-up question is, what about my hockey? And, you know, what about the other things we're going to do? And and you say, I don't know. And the number of times I've said, I don't know, maybe, or possibly, or let's hope so, right? Like it becomes 
that's that's hard for me and 44 years old to hear, let alone when you're young. So, uh. We want to introduce a new member of our talk radio lineup here on 680 CJOB GMAC. That's right. On a typical weekday, our evening program moves from the news with Richard and Julie at 3 till 6. Then Lisa Dutton brings you global news at 6. From 6.30 to 9, Christian O'Mell. And of course, the CJOB Sports Show. Beginning next Monday at 9 o'clock, we will have a new program for you to engage with. The host is an accomplished journalist. He has won multiple awards and spent time working across Canada and around the world. And Loren, I would say his resume is beyond impressive. Yeah, the show's name is A Little More Conversation with Ben O'Hara Burn. And as you said, it debuts on January 10th, 2022. Uh, we want to introduce you now to, I mean, guess his name, the show with Ben O'Hara Burn. Let's just say hello to Ben. How's it going? I guess we should say hello, welcome Loren. home. Yeah, thanks. It's good to see you. Good to hear you again, Loren. Loren and I go way back from, uh, from our global national days. Speaking of impressive resumes, uh, that of Loren McNabs, of course. Uh, great to be back, of course. We're very, very happy about all this and uh, look forward to, uh, to hitting, hitting the road running, so to speak, on Monday evening. I want to ask Ben, you know, and I got asked this a lot when I made my move from TV to radio, because that's where I spent the bulk of my journalism career. And you have done, you've been all over the world working for multiple fantastic networks, including global. And and I'm curious when you decided to move back to radio, why was it? I mean, I can't, I can't say enough about how much I love working in radio, but what drew you back? Yeah, I mean, to, to me, really, it was an opportunity to go to a medium where you can be a bit more free-flowing. You remember how, how, how restrictive television can be in certain ways, trying to keep everything into a minute and a half or uh, trying to keep everything written to the pictures and so on. Uh, and it just felt with so much going on these days, so much to talk about, that radio was the perfect medium to have this discussion. So much has changed. Just listening to your newscast this morning about, about state of emergencies at, uh, at police forces, about costs of you know, supply chain issues and so on. You feel like coming out of this pandemic, if and when, when we will come out of this pandemic, uh, as, as, as unlikely as that feels sometimes, that there's just so much to talk about, so much that will be worthy of talking about, and that radio is the most uh, inviting medium uh, to talk about that. Also podcasts, to be honest. You know, I started to listen to a lot of podcasts over uh, over the pandemic, uh, and it reminded me just how warm, intimate, and informative uh, radio can always be. So it's really been. I mean, there'll be a learning curve. There always is, uh, but I'm I'm excited to uh, to uh, to tackle the medium that is radio. My mom worked in radio for a really long time, uh, so I kind of grew up listening to her and uh, and radio itself. So it's great to be back. Well, not only will you be able to work in, uh, as you describe, a more free flowing environment, but you won't have to do any stand ups outside in the cold anymore. Yeah, I was just just listening to the forecast. Of course, I'm in Victoria still. Omicron has meant that I'm not in Vancouver. Uh, I'm still based in Victoria. So there's been a snow, what we would call a snowstorm here overnight. And it's, uh, you know, it's a bit of snow, uh, but it always wreaks havoc. Uh, but it is two degrees outside. And people here find that a bit cold. And then it always reminds me listening to the weather cast uh, coming from places like Winnipeg or Edmonton, where you talk about, you know, minus 40 with the wind chill, what a different experience it all is in other parts of the country. So many of the people that live in your part of the world are uh, former uh, prairie folk, so they do have an appreciation. And that's what I wanted to ask you about, just this whole idea. You've traveled all over the world and you've worked all over the world. Does that give you that perspective? I think many of us crave 
uh, when we're having difficult discussions, you know, we've been talking this morning about how some of us are feeling burnt out and, and there's always that qualifier there, right? That whole idea of, well, I know we've got it better than most people, but, but, but talk about that, that the power of perspective. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, one of the things we've talked a lot about, and Loren mentioned it this morning, was resilience. It's a word that's become commonplace, one that we've heard all the time. Uh, and when you've been all over the place, you realize, yes, indeed, you know, if you go to a disaster zone, Loren can tell you this too, if you've been to areas where there have been disasters, yes, indeed, children are resilient. Children bounce back. You can go to, uh, to areas that have been struck by all sorts of natural disasters, and the children will always be upbeat to some extent. But you always wonder what the impact is. And as Loren was mentioning, uh, and I, th- I think that's what the perspective brings you is this idea that, yes, you know, maybe we haven't faced this sort of uh, long-term disruption in our lives the way we have the past few years. What is the impact on kids? And I think some of us who've been to areas where there have been disasters or there have been sort of endemic problems, you can sort of have a better perspective of what what the impact can be. And while kids are always resilient, uh, we know that the impact of disasters and so on does disrupt, and we have to be cognizant of it, you know, just for saying, Everything is okay. Everything's going to be okay. Obviously, isn't enough, and uh, we're hearing that right across the country these days. Uh, but I think uh, having been in other parts of the world where life can be a bit more precarious uh, reminds you that re- while resilience is a thing, it can't be taken for granted all the time. So let's help our listeners get to know you a bit better, Ben, because we've talked a lot about your extensive journalism career, and you've been so many incredible places and done a lot of things. But personally for you, what are some of the things that you just enjoy when it comes to life in Victoria? I know you've also lived in Toronto and Ottawa. And Are you born and raised Montreal? I am, yeah. I'm from Montreal originally. My, my father's still there, uh, still in Montreal. My mom's in Ottawa. Uh, she was professor at Carleton University. She just retired. Um, you know, I, it, it's funny having parents who sort of just hit that retirement age uh, where Omicron has really delayed a lot of their or, or COVID in general has delayed so many of their plans as well. So uh, I haven't seen my dad in a few years. Uh, unfortunately, my mom has been out west a few times, which has been great. Um, but my parents are still here. Um, I'm married. My, my wife is from uh, near Hong Kong, uh, a place called Guangzhou in southern China. We met while I was working and living in Beijing. Uh, and she's here in Victoria. Uh, we came here from London in the UK. London was the smallest city she'd ever lived in. So you can imagine that Victoria at the, at the outset uh, was quite a shock. So uh, she's gotten used to smaller city life, though. And uh, I think Victoria and Winnipeg both joke about their skylines at times, right? Uh, about not so many tall, not so many tall buildings. Um, but in terms of just, I mean, life out west has been. Some, I didn't really know BC that well when I moved out here. Uh, from London, and uh, it's a great place to live. As you know, many people from the prairies find their way out here uh, as they get older, usually, but even younger people these days. Um, and living on the ocean is great. The weather's always really good. It's not as gray as people say it is. Uh, so it's been a great place to be for a pandemic. I've, uh, you know, I think a lot of us have taken up hobbies. We probably weren't so into to begin with. I mean, I've been doing a lot of. Has anyone played Wordle? That's my my new one. Is, and Wordle, yeah, it's this online game. It's a bit like Mastermind. You have to have six tries to figure out what the word is. Sort of gives you, anyway, uh, have a look. Oh, uh, I, yeah, you should know, good. as soon as anyone says anything, I get down a rabbit hole and then I'll just stop listening. So I'm now doing a Wordle game, and I guess oh, I have good. you to thank for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I like to run, pay a lot of attention to the news. I mean, it, it's just been, I think we've all been kind of in a state of, you know, a bit of a suspended state the past few years. So it's... Uh, uh, those are those are some of the stuff. But yeah, from Montreal originally, lived in a lot of places and liked every single one of them, to be frank. Well, and you picked an interesting time as well to enter, uh, to re-enter the talk radio world because, as you 
well, no, the world is so divisive right now, and talk radio kind of gives you instant access to that. So are you are you prepared to to put up your dukes, so to speak? Because that's what ends up happening sometimes, right? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I've, I've um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that the show will, is, is attempting to do is trying to find some common ground. I think, I think one of the things, having lived across Canada, that always struck me, uh, especially moving from Quebec to Alberta when I was a boy, right during sort of the, the height of, uh, of some of the, the national energy program scandals and, uh, or unhappiness in Alberta, right at the height of sort of post-referendum, or right before the referendum in Quebec, that, um, you know, so much more unites Canadians than divides us. We like to focus on what divides us because, you know, it makes for, makes for, for interesting conversations. So we'll tackle that as well. But really looking for stuff that, that matters, especially with the national scope, trying to figure out stories that matter to people right across the country. And you were talking about, um, about fertilizer earlier and supply chain issues. Well, you know, supply chain issues, regardless of where you live these days, um, are having an impact. People are seeing the impacts of them in every which way in their communities, regardless of what the economic driver of their community is, regardless of what it is that um, that the industries in their community are. So from that sense, yeah, I, I mean, you, you, you make it sound a bit daunting, but I'm looking forward to, to the uh, to the debates, to the healthy debates. I think that's what really the show uh, aims to be, to provide some diverse viewpoints and um, and certainly a healthy debate as well. But you're right, it can be quite combative. And uh, if you come from the TV world, a lot of that combative stuff happens off camera or happens, you know, the interview, all you see is the interview clips. So you don't see as much of the, of the battle. Ben, I was going to ask you about your mom, but we're running out of time here. So can you tell us a Loren McNabb story? No. Like she's not here right now? Like if <laughs> you were sitting, having a, a, a beer in a pub in Victoria and, and Loren went for a walk? Could you tell us one of those stories? I have, you know, I, there's been so many great Loren stories. Loren was a legend at Global National, uh, even amongst those of us who didn't, uh, who did. But when she was in... Um, there was one favorite, Lauren. I hope you don't mind if I tell this story, only because because I always we'll feel see. bad about it. <laughs> there was one time when I was subbing in Toronto, and Lauren was off working hard as she always does, and I was kind of sitting in the office. I just got there uh, from Ottawa, and uh, that was the day the Air France plane went off the, the runway at Pearson Airport. And next thing you know, I was on CNN. And Loren was trying to make her way back from, I don't know where you'd been, somewhere up north of Toronto. And that was one of those circumstances that when people ask me about that story, I still say, you know what? I wasn't meant to be there that day. Loren was. So I don't you know. You stole my spot. Uh, Is that what we're saying? You stole my spot. You got yeah. to go on CNN. Did I get mad about that? That sounds like about right. No? Not visibly. <laughs> 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 not, not, not yes, in a way that divisiveness. I like it already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. You did take my spot. All right, I did well, take it. I was just Sorry. in the process of writing you a nice email, welcoming you back to uh, the course <laughs> team, but I will delete and think of something else now that I recall that story. Is that is that moose growling in the background? <laughs> <laughs> Every time someone says the name Ben, he's going to bark. That's what's going to happen going forward. Well, I'm glad to be back. Well, Ben O'Hara, Byrne, welcome back. And thank you very much for joining us this morning, sir. We much appreciate it. You're most welcome. My pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. 
And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.